Hello and welcome back to yet another episode of the VC Bruno podcast, a podcast that provides a unique perspective of the startup world through the lens of venture capitalists and entrepreneurs. I'm your host Digjay and today I have with me Ray Nebal. Ray is a Canadian entrepreneur and early stage investor and now managing director of Techstars India. Techstars is a US-based global startup accelerator that has invested in more than 2200 companies through its accelerator program which was founded in 2006. Before joining Techstars, Ray was a co-founder and CEO of Jixi, the leading mobile video platform which operated mobile applications for many of India's largest brands. Prior to Jixi, Ray spent over a decade leading sales and business development at corporates like DoubleClick, MSN and Yahoo. In this episode, Ray talks about his roller coaster journey and learnings as an entrepreneur, the key signals that investors look for in investing in early stage startups. and how accelerators like Techstars maximize value for startups by collaborating with different stakeholders in the ecosystem i had a great time chatting with ray and i hope you enjoy this conversation which is packed with some amazing insights for startups let's jump in and listen to what ray has to share welcome ray welcome to the vc prana podcast glad to have you on the show today thanks dj good to be here and and thanks for inviting me Absolutely my pleasure. So for the listeners who don't know you yet, you know maybe we can give them a bit of a background about yourself. Sure. So I'll go back a little bit to the mid 90s. I was studying law and economics at university. Was learning a lot about macroeconomic and was totally bored with law. You know, at the same time, I got wind of the early days of the internet being built. and i started to spend time in the computer science lab at the university i was going to and it really experienced fomo for the first time <laughs> it was this fear of not being involved in what i began to realize was going to be quite huge and this was 1993 1994 and so what what had happened was the school went on strike so everything was shut down the computer lab was shut down i ended up uh, at home and signed up for what was one of the first isps in toronto where i grew up i actually in, installed the internet on my laptop this is again early days so getting an internet to talk to a computer and connect to a browser was not easy and i did it and i thought wow that's pretty hard but value of the internet was so huge to me that i figured more people were going to realize that and would begin to want to come online so with that i called the owner of one of these isps and talked him into hiring me as a tech support person on the basis that a lot of people would be coming online and would need someone who can speak to them in normal language to walk them through getting set up it was probably one of the most enjoyable experiences i'd ever had uh because i was learning about something that i was fascinated about so that led to me realizing that i i was just fascinated about all of the internet would do to change the world and you know ultimately one of the first areas that fascinated me what basically what was the first app store on the internet called two cows i began to in addition to selling internet access which i realized i was good at i was so good at selling that they also had me start to sell ads So I was one of the first internet ad sales people. And that was how I got wind of a company called DoubleClick, which was building ad servers and selling ads and talked to the person who was growing that company into international markets into hiring me to work for them. And that was a great experience. I got to work with DoubleClick in the early days, you know, 1997. I went to New York, learned the business from people who were really early at that company, saw it scale from 100 people to about 2000 people in a very short period of time. 
made a lot of paper wealth. And then of course the dot-com collapse happened, saw it go away. That led to basically a decade in corporate tech doing sales and business development. I got a little bit antsy and wanted to not be branded as only a salesperson. And I decided I was going to go do a startup in 2007. And, you know, I, I was fascinated with the internet's ability to bring people online, democratize information at the same time. And I thought that a lot of the people in the world that needed this information were in the emerging markets. And so I set out to go and build a startup out of Toronto that was going to focus on bringing a lot of people online in a different way. And that ended up being for video and on feature phones. And that's what took me to India. So I, I ended up building this company called Jigsy and got to India and, you know, had three months of runway and figured out when I was there that everything we thought we knew about the market and the go-to-market strategy was completely wrong. Had to re-architect that with founders sitting all the way in Canada. Anyway, we'll go into that, I'm sure. Yep. But that ended up, you know, after building a company and then we eventually sold the company, you know, I learned a lot from that process, which I wanted to bring to entrepreneurs. And the process of mentoring and investing and, and building startup brought me into Techstars, where I was hired to expand Techstars into India and build the first program in India in 2018 that uh, I still run today. Wow. I think that's quite a journey and, you know, mix of experience of the initial internet excitement, the dot-com boom, working at a corporate and working at a startup, which, you know, was working almost remotely. So I want to dig a bit deeper into, you know, your entrepreneurial journey. So, you know, walk us through that experience as an entrepreneur building Jixi, coming to India, which is, you know, almost foreign to you at that point and scaling your team and product. Sure. You know, I'll start off by, by saying that when I set out to build Jigsy, I knew I needed an adventure. I needed to grow. I had spent a decade, as I mentioned, in different corporate roles. And, you know, in the beginning of that decade in, in corporate, I was learning a ton and it was very, very stimulating for me. But I had become bored. I really wanted to prove to myself that I could do something big. And so in many ways, building a startup was that. And so Jigsy ended up being a very personal journey for me on so many levels. It was not only building a startup, but I, I grew up as, you know, my parents are from Guyana. You know, I have some Indian ancestry because father's family, you know, emigrated from India to Guyana. So in many ways, when the startup kind of took me to India, which is what happened, by the way, I didn't build the startup with the intent of going to build for India or building it in India. It literally took me to India. And so I began to kind of allow the startup to lead me and lead my growth. And in some ways that was awesome. In other ways, it was a roller coaster. So I started the company in really around 2008, 2009, right in the middle of the financial crisis. One of the things I, I did very well was I built a strong team. And this is the number one challenge that entrepreneurs often face when they're building a company. I was literally turning 30 at the time and I set out to try and build a team. Realizing that I'm, I'm not technical, you know, as much as I'd spent time in tech support, I didn't learn how to code, but I was really good at getting people to join me. So I did a couple of things. One was I recruited a person I had a lot of respect for at Microsoft. He was actually the CFO for Microsoft Canada. And I felt that would give me a lot of credibility to work with large companies and, and bring in investors. And I struggled to find technical co-founders. But we managed to, in the process of a discussion of hiring a CTO, we ended up coming across a team of two uh, engineers who had built some amazing video streaming technology that was deployed, but wasn't making any money in Bangladesh. And these guys were in Ottawa and one was in California and they came as a package deal. So initially that discussion was around hiring them. Of course, we didn't have any money to hire anyone with. 
But what it evolved into is, well, hey, we have this startup we built. We have some technology that's pretty cool. You know, it would give us a head start, given that I decided I wanted to go into the video streaming space. So I ended up acquiring that company. And so this ended up being one of our first deals where we had to negotiate with their family and friends who had put in money. And we essentially they had a, a convertible uh, debt note. And, and we went out and restructured that debt and made them shareholders of our company. So that's how we brought our team. That's kind of where it all started. And that's when it became real. So we had some technology. We had something to sell. And yet we were all still sitting in North America. And we started getting connected with people in the entertainment and telco space. And one of those groups was a company called Hungama. And so we ended up doing this deal and realizing from sitting in Toronto, as we kind of went through all of the process of getting set up and integrated and, and launched, and this is, keep in mind, this is launching a video streaming application on a feature phone. And, you know, it's Hungama that's distributing it. There's also, you know, it's all 2G networks at that point. 3G is just beginning to uh, start. And so, yeah, of course, guess what happens? Zero revenue comes in and month after month, we're seeing nothing come out of this deal. And, you know, we, we go through uh, basically a year, a year and a bit of struggling and trying to figure out how to get this thing off the ground. And no one will fund us here in Toronto. Uh, actually end up getting connected to some angels through uh, an ecosystem innovation group here called Mars. And that allows us to get our first check. You know, we go out and we get people excited about the India story. And, you know, at the same time, I'm really struggling and I'm broke. At the time, I remember when I raised the first check from our angels, I barely had enough gas in my car to go to the lawyer's office to actually sign for the check. That's how bad things had, got, had gotten on my side. But I was really committed to doing this and I didn't want to stop. But this check came with the condition that I go to India. And so I decided, all right, I'm going to embrace this and go to India. I end up in Mumbai. And yeah, when I get there, I realized that although I had a notion of how things would look at a macro level, I had absolutely no idea what the street level kind of condition of the market would be. And that means oh, I didn't understand the distribution channels. I didn't understand what people were doing to consume video before they were getting it from folks like us. And the other thing I realized I didn't have was any real empathy for the people who, who were going to be our end users. And so I set on this rapid mission to learn and to build and to try and go out and raise funding. And, and I only had three months of runway. It ends up becoming a, a really interesting learning experience because and I'm the only one out of our founder group who can actually travel to India. I end up one by one losing all of my other team except for one who sits in Ottawa and his name's Arif. And so it's, it's Arif and I that, are, that end up building this company, him in Ottawa, me sitting in India. And I'm getting more and more excited by what I see as the opportunity. And I'm seeing how, you know, with video streamed to people's phones, if we can do it reliably and we can make it affordable and we can give them the content they care about, this could really be something that's really amazing for people. And I'm trying to get this off the ground. I'm feeling excited. Um, I'm also getting extremely sick <laughs> at the same time. My first six months in India, I end up losing about 35 pounds, you know, but yeah, like, so one by one, I start losing my co-founders who aren't feeling the same sense of excitement because they're so far away. And despite me talking to them every night, you know, I'm talking to them and wanting support from them and thus sharing all of the ups and downs. And what I'm getting from them is more frustration and them feeling like they're not part of it and they can't really do much and they're so far out, they might as well not even be a part of it. Right. So this becomes a pattern. And, and then I come back. So I, I end up getting connected with, with lots of people who are very interested now that I'm in India. 
I end up coming back to Canada in October with two term sheets. So this was the end of our runway, but I have two term sheets for investment. And one of those term sheets, it comes with the requirement that I dissolve my Canadian company, set up in India and restructure my cap table. The other allows me to keep everything in place, right? And, and set up an Indian uh, subsidiary of my Canadian parent company. I decide to go with that one because it allows me to keep my partners and with all these co-founders that have left, I end up, you know, still, you know, on the hook with lots of equity that, that goes to them, right? But I decide it's the right thing to do. And, you know, we end up having to educate the folks who had agreed to allow me to keep the Canadian uh, parent company, who included angels from the IAN and even, even Sequoia India. I had to go back and figure out all the tax implications and we end up closing the round. I'm back in India and we set up building a company. And, you know, we built a team who really understood and could bring about a lot of the empathy that I was lacking. We had a lot of young people working in this company and from all walks of life. And we spent so much time together. And I learned so much from that team about what people wanted out of an app, out of content, out of video. But yeah, that was the start of the journey. We ended up getting to an exit. And, you know, that was also a very tough decision um, in my life, you know, where you don't build a company and put that much into it to sell it before you feel like you've gotten to any type of significant milestone, which, which I definitely think we had a lot ahead of us. But yeah, there was a moment where, you know, we were struggling to raise a Series B. We, we had an opportunity to sell the company. And we ultimately ended up making the decision to sell and probably one of the toughest decisions of my life at that point, but one that I don't regret and was probably the, the best one we could make at the time. It's definitely an incredible journey, lots of ups and downs, even before you've started building a product. Absolutely. So walking from Canada, trying to fundraise, there's this big opportunity that you're going after and you have the story, you have the team, but you still have to get on the ground and build the product. So you've already seen those ups and downs uh, before you come to India which is incredible. And this is 2010, right? I mean, working remotely, coordinating with teams, lawyers, as you mentioned, or deciding on which terms to go after. So tell us what were the key lessons while you were, you know, fundraising for your startup. You mentioned about these signals, right? That investors look into. So if you can touch upon those signals as well. Yeah, so if I look at that experience of building a company in another country that was foreign to me in many ways, I think one of the, the biggest challenges we had to work through, and this is on either side, whether it's us working with everyone else or it's everyone else figuring out if they want to work with us, comes down to signal. I, at least in my mind, that's how I kind of break it down. And, you know, for me, on my end, I'm trying to figure out who's real. I'm trying to figure out who I can trust. I'm trying to figure out if a company is going to steal what I'm working on or if I should really kind of lean on a partnership. I'm trying to understand how things work. And I'm coming from a place where I have very little signal. I have very little understanding of how to orient everyone that I'm interacting with. And that includes, you know, the investors, that includes the legal teams, that includes the partners, the people I was trying to hire, um, all of that. I'm relying on very weak signal to make decisions. So that became a major challenge. The other side of it was what people were seeing from me, right? So here I am, this guy who is not from India, but he's worked with some big tech companies and he has a vision. And at a point in India, which is relatively early in the arc of the Indian startup ecosystem, I think people were excited about what I had to say 
because uh, naturally it was very different because I was coming in as an outsider. At the same time as people enjoyed hearing my vision and my passion for what I was doing, I think they were also skeptical of whether I was actually going to go through with it. And, and so, yeah, I think we're all <laughs> in this particular time and, and, you know, in the inflection point of Jigsy kind of coming to India, I think we're all trying to figure each other out. And so it led me to a lot of realizations on signaling and how important signaling is. Yep. You know, in many ways, something I, I spend a lot of time on now as, as an early stage investor is trying to decipher signals. And sometimes I get it right and sometimes I don't. So if you think about the VC landscape, right, it's long been a notion that VCs invest in their own backyard and that even angels, angel investors invest in their own backyard. And the main reason that happens is because of familiarity. If you are investing in an entrepreneur as an angel investor or a VC, you're going to look for signals. And those signals include what school they went to. And obviously, you know, we're at a time when, you know, even in India, if you go to Harvard or Stanford or any of those schools, that's a great signal. But you're looking for companies that they've worked for, you know, the schools they went to, right? So they use those signals to decide how to make an investment. And then you get beyond those kind of, you know, those signals that show up on paper to signals that come into conversation, which is how does someone speak? How articulate are they? How comfortable are you? with their tone and with their, their willingness to listen. And so you get into these more kind of human types of signals that actually are really about likability, right? As well as familiarity and comfort and all those other things. Yep. And so that becomes another requirement. And so on one hand, you know, as this guy who would work for some big brand corporate tech companies, I had a lot of great signal from that side. But you know, one of the things that I felt really sensitive about was that when I would have a conversation with an investor, there would always be other conversations going on in the background in Hindi that, you know, my Hindi was so bad I had no idea and I couldn't even participate. And there were jokes that were being made, not about me, but just that, you know, there was, there was jokes being made and I couldn't participate in it. To not be able to connect at that emotional level with people, that itself is, is a missing signal, right? So I began to see the world through this lens of signal. And it probably comes from, you know, just building the company this way. So, I mean, what would be your advice, you know, for founders today, probably are not familiar with the VC landscape, are first time founders like you were, or someone who's pitching for fundraising, you know, what are the key signals that you would want them to focus on, uh, especially in some of these conversations that they are having with VCs? Yeah, so, and these signals evolve as the company goes further and further, right? But in early days of a company, it's, it's really about the people and it's about the vision. So the signals that I look for, you know, in the team are, A, what is the unique insight that they have? That thing they know, that thing they realize that, that isn't like a widely held belief. Because I really believe the most valuable insights are the ones that really require enough depth of understanding and empathy. I'm looking for beyond the insight, what's the game changer? And usually because I invest in tech, there's kind of going to be a tech element in there either it's distribution or it's interface or it's something along or it's accessibility, you know, who understands that tech element well enough that they're going to be able to leverage that insight with technology to be able to change the, the actual outcome of it in some order of magnitude difference in a way that makes it, you know, cheaper, better, faster, et cetera. Um, I'm looking for that. You know, I'm looking for a vision of how, how does the world change? So that requires a couple of things. It requires an entrepreneur to have a, a view of how events are going to unfold to get to a certain type of outcome. And ultimately, that outcome is going to be augmented by some type of technology shift, right? Yeah. 
So it's not that I'm looking for people to be fortune tellers, but I'm looking for that kind of narrative of the chess game on how that market is going to evolve. Because if you don't have that view, then the thing that you're building, the insight that you're leveraging has, has nothing to really anchor on. It's a very difficult thing to articulate. And so whenever I find an entrepreneur that can articulate that, you know, it becomes a question of whether I believe in it, but I, I may not believe it at all. But the fact that they can articulate it will allow me to at least ask myself, what if they got it right? And that's a great signal, right? Correct. So these are the types of, of things that I look for. And these are what create signal. I actually try to stay away from the resume signal, right? Who you worked for doesn't really matter to me. What school you went to doesn't really matter to me. I'm looking for your ability to very clearly and succinctly narrate how your insight actually works with a chess game of the market that you're in to create value. And if you can do that, that signal is much more powerful to me than any other signal. So Ray, you know, when you look back to your entrepreneurial journey, if you had to point out two or three key learning from that experience, what would they be? One of the biggest learnings for me was that if you're not uncomfortable, you're probably not learning. You're not growing. So learning to embrace discomfort, right? And your tolerance for discomfort, you know, changes as your life evolves. And for young people who are, you know, just finishing school, I feel like you're at that moment in your life, you know, it's easiest to embrace discomfort. And, you know, for me, it took me until I got to my early 30s to really become okay about, you know, embracing this discomfort. I wish I did that sooner if I could go back, right? That's a big one. The other realization is building a successful company is not a single player game. And it's not just your co-founders. You know, the people that join your company, they're committing in such a huge way. They're not there for the salary. They're not there for the stability. Absolutely. Right? Yep. And they, they may be there for their own reasons. It's not that they're in there selflessly either. But you need all of those people. And so I think realizing that as a CEO had this like lens of, you know, my co-founders and then there was everybody else in the company. And ultimately, we were all in it together. And it took me a little while to realize that. There's one more. I would just say that, you know, given enough time, anyone can achieve anything. Now, the challenge there is that we don't have infinite amounts of time. Time is that one resource that doesn't replenish. So, you know, I think when thinking about your startup and when thinking about what you're doing at any point in time, I think we have to optimize with this view that we don't have all of the time in the world. So that has created that notion, which really occurred to me through building the company, um, is one that continues to play into a lot of my view and not just business, but life in general, you know, and maybe this comes with getting, getting older, <laughs> but yeah, you don't get time back. So, you know, remember to uh, make the most out of it. Right. Very well said. Ray, I want to switch gears here and, you know, talk about Techstars, the accelerator program that, you know, came to Bangalore in 2018, first Techstar center in Asia at that point, and you came in as a managing director. So first of all, tell us, you know, what led you to join Techstars and take the decision to come back to India and take this opportunity with Techstars? So my journey with Techstars actually started in 2017 in Toronto, where I took a random meeting with a company that was in the 3D printing space. It was a friend of a friend who was running a 3D printing company, a young team, and I hadn't spent any time on the 3D printing world. And so I took this meeting really out of my own curiosity around 3D printing and I really had no expectation other than just to learn. And the meeting ended up being just profound for me. 
not just because of learning about what this company had done in 3D printing, which actually was pretty amazing, but it was this, the maturity of these founders. And I was so fascinated. And these were founders who were much younger than I was, right? And they were first time founders. And I recognized, you know, as I got to know them, that this was from Techstars. They had gone through a Techstars program in New York. I ended up getting deeply involved with this company. As I started to spend time with them, they expressed to me that, hey, you know what? You're actually a really good mentor. And, and I said, really? Well, what is that? <laughs> and they said, well, it's not that you're here as an advisor. It's actually that you're asking amazing questions and you're making us think. And so I started to see the value of mentorship. I started to recognize that I really enjoy mentoring and started to meet with other companies and, and serve as a mentor. And I started to see Techstars more and more in this light. I realized that there was something to this. And, and if I, in building my company in India, had access to these types of people who I could meet with who they had no ulterior motive, but they were smart people who were willing just to learn and to give back in some way their time. I realized that I would have learned a lot and I probably could have sped up that two years that it took me to actually get like out of the door, you know, with a product in India, I could have probably cut that down a lot. And that actually, as I learned more about Techstars was a big part of what Techstars was doing. It was bringing together mentors who were people who had experience building business and wanted to give back. And in Techstars world, we call it give first. And they were coming together and they had no ulterior motive and that was accelerating these companies. In fact, that's why Techstars started to use the term accelerator back in 2006. And so, you know, Techstars was looking for someone in Toronto. So through that context, they got introduced. And then, you know, we started chatting about India. Right. I, I'd always had this building and selling a company that was based in India had always, it had just created a love that will never die for me, you know, of India and Indian entrepreneurs. And this gave me an ability to bring the platform to India in a way and, and to also, you know, essentially bring together a mentor pool of people who would be, you know, kind of galvanized by this notion of giving back. And so I, I thought it was gonna be a great thing for Indian entrepreneurs. And I was incredibly excited to get that opportunity. And I had two kids and my wife at the time in Toronto, but we packed up and came to Bangalore in 2018. You know, again, I find myself uh, on an amazing journey and completely uncomfortable, <laughs> but, but learned uh, a ton in that process. And, you know, we've, we've now invested in 20 companies. We're now looking for our next 10 companies. So. You know, I want you to unpack the Techstars program you know, for our listeners. If you could walk us through what's the selection process like, you know, the mentorship program itself, and what's the path post-graduating from a Techstars program? Sure. So we're in sourcing now. So we're out there and we're, we're meeting with companies who apply. So you can go to the Techstars Bangalore website. You know, you, you'll find an application there which you can fill out. In this class, we made a little bit of a pivot. In our previous classes, we had opened up to all companies focused on emerging markets or India. So we saw a range of companies in that. And, you know, we see in, in India two kinds of companies, largely. We see companies building for India, and India's got lots of big problems, which are great opportunities. And then we see companies that are building, you know, products and services for the rest of the world. And we're seeing that happen more and more. And, and then we recognize that there's a lot of great product and service that is available to the rest of the world. The challenge is that, again, back to signaling, um, we're, we're in a world that is capable of transacting and willing to transact virtually today. Like this is a major unprecedented shift in the world where business is being done virtually. Now the challenge with going virtual is it still comes down to signal. We're still gonna buy what we're comfortable buying. We're still gonna transact with what we feel is familiar to us. 
And when Indian companies build for the rest of the world and primarily North America, that itself can be a major challenge because Indian companies, you know, with Indian founders are used to understanding signals which apply to the Indian market. And so understanding the signals that matter to customers in the markets they're building for is critical. And that's going to become the focus of the next program. So we're looking for Indian companies that are building for North America. We're basically going to do three things. We're going to give them a very deep market knowledge. Like, you know, I find when I speak to a lot of founders, they really understand at a very high level, kind of like I did, you know, the macro level opportunity of selling in the U.S., but they don't understand things at a very detailed level. They don't understand their competitors. They don't understand how people buy. They don't understand what their edge is going to be in that particular market. So first, to give them that awareness is critical. Secondly, giving them what we call the market language, which is understanding what are the brands that resonate? What are the emotions that resonate? What is the pricing and business models that work in the market? Right? That's the market language. So we're going to give them that. So we're developing content and bringing in great people who can help them with that. And then lastly, and this is where, you know, we're really going to lean on the power of Techstars, which is um, bring about our strength, which is our large corporate network in the U.S. market and in Canada. And we're going to make that available to these companies. And they're going to be able to go out and use the tools that we give them to engage companies in a highly targeted manner. So that's what we're doing in the program. We're meeting people now. We're hosting AMAs. We'll be inviting companies to you know, meet with us when we're, we think there's something interesting there. We go through a process of narrowing down to 20 companies who get invited to a selection committee meeting in November. And at that point, we'll be making offers. And then you know, we'll be inviting 10 companies to start. Right. So I think it's, you know, it's a perfect environment for early stage founders to, to level up and for Techstars to be able to nurture them. So, you know, what's the discussion like at the last day of the program, you know, when they're graduating from the accelerator itself? So there's a lot of energy um, that goes into that demo day pitch. And um, anyone who's been close to the program will know that a company will go through about 300 iterations by the time they actually do that pitch. So, so there's a lot of buildup towards that. And what you see happen on demo day, that evolution of a founder who starts off pretty rough in being able to kind of communicate their ideas and connect. By the end of it, they're so confident and they're so succinct and are, are just very clear on how to communicate things. And so it's amazing to see that journey. So that culminates on Demo Day. And, you know, you see, you see this glow around the companies and, you know, that, that is amplified within the community. You know, it's a time where entrepreneurs will come out and they'll leverage this newfound ability to communicate their company and their proposition in a way that really engages people. And, you know, there's also another side of it, which is it's almost this, uh, this whiplash effect. You're so used to working in this really intense environment where you're building your business and you're also growing as a person and you're together with these people. And then after, it's like this vacuum. And even I feel it, right? Because you're working almost closer together than you are with your family. And then you're not together after that. So that can be a bit of a challenge. But what happens is, so these folks who are part of a, a Techstars program, they have each other. They have a, a massive network of more than 10,000 people that are part of that Techstars, um, who are Techstars alumni. They now, no matter what challenge they're facing in their business, have a very engaged network to go to, to turn to, and to discuss. So you know, I go back to when I was building my, my company, like every chapter in the journey of building a company comes with things that you just need to talk through, you need advice on. 
you need to have a viewpoint, you need to form a perspective on. And oftentimes, especially if you're a first or second time founder, yep. right? So now you've got this amazing engaged network, which is more engaged, by the way, than even your university alum. That's a huge, that's probably the most impactful thing is that you now have the ability to call anyone, you know, in any tech stars company, doesn't matter how big or how small, and someone will, will answer, someone will respond and is willing to help. And that's a big part of it. Right. And it's, you know, pretty clear from our discussion that, you know, accelerators are playing a very key role in, uh, in the ecosystem to help accelerate, truly accelerate the journey of, you know, entrepreneurs from zero to one. And from an ecosystem standpoint, you know, they act as a very important filter, right, uh, to filter out the best early stage startups and guide them in the required direction. It could be a follow-on round of funding. It could be partnerships with corporates or the access to the valuable network that you mentioned. So clearly a very important role. And, you know, it's been echoed by a lot of speakers who've been on the show before as well from their own experiences of being in an accelerator. So, you know, let me ask you this from an accelerator standpoint, you know, you can partner with different stakeholders. It could be VCs, the government, ex-founders, corporates to amplify the impact, you know, that you are having on startups. So how does Techstars, you know, do that in India today? And what are unique ways of collaboration that you are, you know, uh, looking at? So keep in mind that Techstars, it, it works, it operates on different levels. So we run startup weekends, we technically facilitate, but they're actually run by volunteers at a community level. So that's the stage where, you know, we're really bringing the baseline awareness of how to build a startup and how to take an idea forward to people who are entertaining this idea of being an entrepreneur. Right. So it starts with that. And I think, you know, from a, a government perspective, we're realizing, you know, that so much positive growth, economic growth comes from people pursuing ideas. So that's where Startup Weekend is really at the grassroots level. Um, we've now run thousands of Startup Weekends in the region, and, and that number keeps growing. You know, there are huge role for corporate programs in India. You know, so we do a lot of work with companies around helping them to connect with other companies in or outside of the Techstars network. But, you know, like we work with other accelerators too. As I said, it's not, a, even being an accelerator is not a single player game. And so, you know, I think a lot of these accelerators, they bring a lot of clarity and they bring a, a precise level of understanding to these startups. And then from the accelerator level, we don't kind of just see mentors as being from startups. Like we think mentors are really people who can bring insights into the equation. Like, so when we're working with, with entrepreneurs and, and they're coming through this process of what we call mentor madness, which is meeting with all of our mentors, I actually kind of talk about it as seeing the future of your business through, you know, these other people's eyes. Right. And so we bring in mentors who are from government. We bring in mentors who have, you know, professional background, like for example, legal. We'll bring in mentors who have deep corporate um, experience. And they allow each of these founders to see the future of their business through their eyes. And that's an amazing experience. You know, we think there are important insights and learnings there for entrepreneurs to have. And so, so we bring them in as mentors. And then lastly, of course, you know, the journey doesn't end when the startups are done the program. I mean, we look at ourselves as really, again, a signal driver, right? We rely on VCs and angels sometimes who are downstream from us to come in and invest in the companies that come through Techstars. And, and we rely on corporates to do deals with those companies who come from Techstars. And we rely on, you know, governments in some cases 
to support them. You know, we have a company called Ambi, which is focused on quantifying and providing measurement of, of air quality data. They've received some support from local governments. So, you know, th there's a role there for all of these players to continue to be engaged with. And, and so again, coming back to the importance of having a narrative, right? It's not only important to be able to communicate to VCs, it's important to really be able to adjust that narrative so that it applies to whoever you're speaking to. If you're speaking to someone from the government, it's, they need to understand very clearly right. in a way that they understand how what you're going to do is going to bring impact. So that's the role I think each of those different stakeholders play. Yeah, and I think it's very valuable, you know, with an accelerator, it's a very good vantage point that founders can access because accelerator is at the center of all these stakeholders and has the ability to partner with each of them at different levels, like you mentioned. So before we get into the, you know, final rapid fire round, uh, Ray, one question, you've been privy to, you know, the US and the Canadian ecosystems and a fair amount of experience working in the Indian startup scene as well. So, you know, what are the key observations when you compare the developed startup ecosystems and the emerging ecosystems? And in many ways, like building a startup is tough, doesn't matter where you are in the world. <laughs> and the challenges are, are consistent. We're seeing a lot of evolution, not just happen in startups, but happen in funding, happen in government support. So there's innovation and evolution happening everywhere. Currently, you know, venture capital and startup investment, it happens at an ecosystem level. So as we see an ecosystem develop companies that, that become large and that have exits and create reference cases, that inspires founders to go out and build companies that puts money into the ecosystem in the form of angel investment, right? That creates mentorship for, for founders to go out and build companies. Yep. So, you know, that, that's happening everywhere in the world. So as we see more of these reference cases start to emerge, they allow the ecosystem to continue to thrive and grow. And so obviously the best reference case of that is Silicon Valley. But it's not just Silicon Valley anymore, right? We're seeing that happen in Bangalore. We're seeing that happen in Toronto. We're seeing that happen around the world in the smaller ecosystems. But the maturity of that ecosystem is what creates an opportunity for founders to have kind of that trodden path, right? And so the more well-trodden the path, I would say, in a sense, the more that certain barriers are taken away. And probably to some extent, you know, there's an ability to, to build something and, and make it large with less resistance. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a very interesting, you know, viewpoint. So we are here with our final segment of the show, which is the rapid fire questions. I will shoot you some questions and hope to get your honest thoughts on the same. Okay. First question. If you had to give a TED talk, what topic would you choose? It would probably be about embracing discomfort. If you're comfortable, you're not growing. How do you define success? Success to me is having freedom of time. Time is one resource that you, you can't replenish. So being able to do whatever I want with time and be intentional about it, that is success. People from the startup ecosystem that you look up to and that inspire you. Yeah, this is a, this is a tough one. You know, there's a few people. I had the good fortune of having Rajan Anandan as a, an angel investor in my company, uh, Jigsy. And I've had the good fortune of, of having an ability to stay in touch with him over the years and, and see his journey from Google India to now uh, Sequoia. So, you know, I, I think he'd definitely be, be up there. Um, we had a former president of Techstars India, whose name is Bala Girisabala, who ran the Microsoft Accelerator previously. As a person, I'd say Bala is probably one of the most inspiring people I know. So I definitely would put him in, in that mix. 
And, you know, it, it's not always people who are more senior to you that you look up to. You know, I, I work with a person named Anurag Malu, who was, you know, for many years running uh, startup weekends for tech stars in the region. And just his passion for people and connecting people is just remarkable. I would show up in Sri Lanka and everybody would know Anurag and through his process of getting people engaged. I'd say he's also one of the most inspiring people I've had the good fortune of meeting in the last few years. Great. Any final thoughts, you know, for both current and aspiring entrepreneurs who are listening to the show? Look, I think you all know, I think it's pretty cliche that building a company is tough. But at the same time, we need entrepreneurs to go out there and build companies and to solve hard problems. That's how progress happens. I highly encourage um, entrepreneurs to take the risk, take the challenges and lean on, on people like me, like our mentors for support. We haven't talked about it, but the other side of building a company is it's an extremely lonely thing to do. So you can go to some pretty dark places as an entrepreneur. I always say to the founders I work with, you know, staying in the game long enough to succeed is really the most important thing to do. And that means finding the means of building resilience, which comes down to doing things for yourself, putting yourself first sometimes, finding a support system, right? A community around you that can support you, not feeling like you're alone. So I think if there's one thing that I'm proud about doing through Techstars in the last few years in India, in the Indian entrepreneurial context, for the entrepreneurs I've worked with is, is giving them a group of people that they can connect with, you know, go through their journey with um, so that they're, they never feel alone. Um, I think that is probably the most profound thing that we can do. Yep. I think it's really powerful and, you know, perfect note to end the show on. You know, it's been a very insightful conversation. Ray, thanks a lot for your time today. And we've thoroughly enjoyed having you on the show. Thanks for inviting me. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the VC Bruno podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please let our guests know about it. Share your thoughts on social media and let them know what were your key takeaways. We would truly appreciate if you could subscribe to our podcast on the podcast platform of your choice and leave us a review on Apple iTunes. This will help others discover the podcast. To get insights and to learn more about startups and venture capital, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We will love to hear from you there. You can find all episodes together on our website, thevcpreneur.com. We will be back again next week with another VC Preneur that is making a dent in the venture universe. Until then, take care and keep shining.